Hey there, I'm Sam, and welcome to Swag Space, a one-woman podcast show where you'll find fun, informative analyses on all of my favorite things. While this show will mainly focus on entertainment topics like books, TV, and movies, no topic's really off-limits here. Be warned, most episodes will contain spoilers on the topic at hand, and much to my mother's dismay, I swear like a sailor, consider yourselves warned. Now, on to today's episode! This is Sam Swags from the future. I just wanted to hop on really quickly before the start of the episode to let y'all know that this reaction to Iron Flame is going to be released in two parts. This book is over 100 pages longer than Fourth Wing, plus the introduction of so many new characters, a lot more movement geographically. It made the most sense to go ahead and break up the episodes between parts one and two, part one ending at the end of chapter 36. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Iron Flame episode of Swag Space. I am so excited to talk about this book with you guys. I am a little tired because I went to a midnight book release pickup party for the book because I knew that my shipped copy would not come in time. The goal is to try to have it in parts like I did the fourth wing one where I read about a hundred-ish pages. I'll check in, talk about what we've seen so far, things that I think are interesting that are going to come back, and talk about my evolving theories as I get through the book. This first section is going to be chapters 1 through 13. It's about 130-ish pages. What's fun about this is that Yaros pretty much picks up right where we leave off. Before I get into the first chapter where we pick right up where we left off at the end of Fourth Wing, I want to acknowledge two quick things. The first thing is that in my Fourth Wing episode, I talk about how the school hierarchy was a little confusing to me with the squad leaders, the section leaders, and the wing leaders. And wouldn't you know it, Yaros put in a beautiful chart explaining it and the executive officers within each rank. Godsend. I can't tell you how many times I've already looked at it, especially now that Zayden is gone and it has shifted with Rhiannon becoming a squad leader. It has been so, so helpful. And another thing to note right off the bat is I was curious if book two would be a dual POV with the anticipation of Zayden being pulled into combat or at a post, and I was wrong. It is not dual POV, at least not. I feel like that would not be the move to do halfway through a book, unless it's like a last chapter thing like Yaros did. I know Sarah J. Mass has done it. That it'll be pretty obvious in the beginning if you do the dual POV. So that makes it fun. I was wrong. And now we'll get into the start of the book, chapter one. We pick up right where we left off at the end of Fourth Wing, where Violet's having her first conversation with Brendan in six years. She is exhausted from the poison and healing from that and realizes he's not dead and he's part of this revolution. Violet takes the news pretty well. I mean, I think she gives him enough grief as he rightly deserves. So a lot of this is just Violet trying to play catch up with Brennan and how he got involved, kind of clarifies how Taryn's Rider saved Brennan, which we kind of pieced together at the end of the last book. They've been hiding out, rebuilding the city, funneling weapons and supplies to the Griffin Flyers to try to hold off the Venom. She overhears a conversation within their council. They're saying that they only have about a year left to hold them off. And after that meeting comes to a close, Brennan's like, actually, we probably have closer to six months which honestly feeds back into one of my initial thoughts at the end of the first book where I said that I wasn't convinced that Violet would stay 
past her second year and we can get into that a little bit later because I think the way that she's being treated at the school is indication that she's just not gonna last at this point. Taryn's not gonna deal with it. Zayden once he finds out I left off at a cliffhanger and he's gonna lose his mind once he finds out that Violet nearly died of burnout because of Psycho Bearish. So yeah and then now to confirm the looming six months to a year deadline of these venom attacking and infiltrating the wards. That's not even a full school year at that point. She won't even make it through her second year. A couple of the things that I wanted to note in this, these first couple chapters before they make it back to the school is the line of dragon that Taryn is a part of was historically hatched in the Ryerson home. I think it's really interesting and I think that'll come into play in the future. And also on page 11, Violet notes a rune-shaped scar on Brennan's palm. Now we keep getting references to these old tearish runes. So I wonder if that's a form of protection because the runes are in those specific alloy knives that kill the venom. Don't know if there's a connection, but this is, I mean, right off the bat, 10 pages in, we're getting reference to a rune again. And then also around here is when we learn the wardstones and how it's not just dragons that fuel the wardstones that it's like ancient magic there's a ritual behind it and nobody knows how to tap back into that power because they would be able to extend a lot of the wards at some of these outposts for further protection i'm still trying to wrap my head around this because there's a reference to it later when zayden and violet are talking about it but i marked it so i can always reference back to it when it inevitably comes full circle at either the end of this book or a later book another thing to note is violet and zayden are still trying to figure out their dynamic almost a week has passed at this point from her poisoning and waking up and graduation's around the corner, so the inevitable of how the school is going to handle Taryn and Segal, and by proxy how Zayn and Violet are going to navigate her being a co-conspirator now with the revolution. Violet feels a little slighted about how Zayden still can't open up to her, and that's going to be like a revolving theme around the two of them, and I really love that their perspectives shift on their relationship. It makes Zayden way more endearing. I mean, my notes, I am just such a sucker for him in this book in a way. I would not have anticipated reading book one. Oh, and another thing to note before they get into the school, Violet also learns that Aunt Ardna loses her time-stopping ability and that she technically aged up because of that burst of power at the end of the battle of the first book. She would have had a little bit more time, but Taryn doesn't seem super freaked out about it at the moment. She is also black, and the initial description of her was that she has a purplish hue. It's like a purple black. And I just thought of how aesthetic that is with Taryn being pure black, Sigail being that navy, and Adnarna being a little bit more black, but having that little color gradient to them. And it, again, makes it seem like she is Sigail and Taryn's, even though they keep saying, no, she's not our hatchling, I promise you. They get her back to the veil in time to continue her deep sleep, to continue the next transition of her growth. And we got a little angsty teenager Adnarna too. I think that's going to be really fun to continue seeing her little quips she's like in and out of her sleep throughout the rest of this book. So I think the biggest thing that I want to dig into is the General Sorengale and Colonel Atos and Dane when they get back to the school. Man, when I say the apple does not fall far from that tree and didn't realize it would be possible to hate someone more than we hate Dane. I mean, we got two coming right up. This is the first time Mama Sorengale's facade is cracking in regards to her fears for Violet in the writer's quadrant when she thought she died. 
Violet confirmed that her mother was not at all involved in Athbine. It was all Colonel Atos and possibly Dane's, but even Violet said that she's not 100% convinced in Dane's involvement in that specific moment, but she is vehemently against him being anywhere near her. And it makes me wonder how that's not a red flag to Dane. If he was aware of the Venom attack or the setup with Venom, I guess I should say, why her no longer wanting to be touched by him is not a red flag that he He's been selling out her secrets. I guess I expected a little bit more groveling from him, but maybe it's the guilt that he knew what he was doing wrong the entire time. Something still isn't 100% adding up to me, other than his father is a monster. So he's the one that decided to add those eight surviving riders on the death scroll. They come in and they're able to come up with a perfect story of a griffin attack, them sadly losing two of their people, and Violet almost dying with the accusation that Atos knew that he was setting up that group of students for failure. And Mama Sorgil was not having it. What's interesting, though, is she made a public spectacle kind of ripping Atos Sr. a new one in front of everybody, showing this compassion towards Violet. But then after is when they get the assignment that Sigail and Taryn can only have a weekend together once a week, and really 24 hours because of how far they sent Zayden. And messed up because even though he's got his orders, to leave every week, he still has to earn his time away. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. So the timeline of it's still really funny of Zayn getting put to a really awful outpost. Dragons can only see each other once a week and that barely adds up to 24 hours. But then also, Ato Sr. is sent away from the school. But in his place, (laughs) oh my god, this guy, Varish, and he is essentially Ato Sr.'s lapdog. And it's so obvious, and it is the cruelty from this person is astounding. And very Umbridge-esque. I made that comment towards the end when he's forcing her to burn out. I wrote, this is almost exactly like Umbridge, and you cannot convince me otherwise. So pretty much immediately, Zayden leaves. And let me tell you, I was a sucker for that goodbye. I was not expecting it. She is such a sap for him. She's not going to resist that long, and that makes it so much fun. Yaros is so good at building tension between these two, and I am forever obsessed. It's really fun because they get a little bit of a break, the only break they've had since they started, and they get into their first class that was unknown to any of the first years. It is called the Rider Survival Course, and that is where they intentionally test all the cadets to see if they could break them with torture before they can move on to third year. You know that Atos and Varish are going to completely abuse this class to get information out of Violet. You know, they really put her in a weird spot of having witnessed the truth and the revolution that's happening and that she's involved, but she can't be an active member of it, which is infantilizing and it is disappointing and she understands it, but she's kind of a pawn at the moment until she can shield her mind better from people like Dane, until she can figure out Varish's angle and stop Atos from trying to off her. Violet's come such a long way that it's hard to see her sitting there kind of complacent when there are things that she knows she could be doing and 
one of the things that still has my stomach in knots is the cliff note at the top of chapter seven, talking about their policy and checking out books. Later, we see Jacinia feel guilty because she had to report something about a book that was taken out. This feels like Violet with Dane all over again, that this is going to be the big mistake Violet makes that ruins the trajectory of this book, because they are so far up her ass about every little thing she does that they're already sniffing this out. I mean, they already know. They're just looking for evidence. And her looking up any books from 600 years ago is the final nail in her coffin of what actually happened. So I'm really nervous about her. I don't know if Jacinia will be able to pull anything to try to help her if she hasn't been reporting it. I mean, there are still a lot of directions this can go, but Yaros does a really good job of giving information that's important to that chapter and... I don't think it's looking good for Violet. Another reason why she's not going to be there past her second year. The good news, as Rhiannon put it, is that she is squad leader. But the bad news is, of course, Kiss-Ass Dane is wing leader. And let's be honest, he is no Zayden. My note is fuck Dane and his ego because it's embarrassing him trying to be the one person that Violet is interested in that was clearly so good at being a wing leader and just a natural born leader. It's just cringe. So Violet is actively on roll call for the front end of the parapet so she's not watching the people fall off which is probably best case scenario for her two major people to note is the king's son didn't write his name but i think his new name is like eric and we meet Sloane, Liam's sister. And it goes about as well as you think it would. Sloane blames Violet for Liam's death as if, you know, Violet wasn't already beating herself up and constantly replaying it, struggling with the guilt. And it doesn't get any better for her. And then after the parapet is when we really get our first taste of Varish's motive, personality, dynamic with his dragon. I mean, he is a god-awful human being. I mean, he and Atos are actively trying to kill i was gonna say children they're not children but they're young adults i mean they're they're getting educated there's that power dynamic between them that you are threatened by someone less experienced and are actively trying to kill them for your own narrative and it's so interesting for her to pick up on Atos Senior's change. I mean, she sees through Varish right off the bat, especially Taryn's warning about Solus, that he was just actively murdering bonded cadets. No rhyme or reason. The power tripping, the dominance, it's just so gross and it just seeps off of the human and the dragon. But it was so satisfying to watch Taryn put him in it was chef's kiss and i cannot wait for us to learn the full details of how taryn took his eye because you know that's gonna be a juicy story because solas is still afraid of taryn and he still keeps pushing taryn in a way that i never would if i were him and it's gonna be so satisfying to watch that dragon's end i cannot wait as they start classes is when Violet really starts to struggle with her old friend group. She can't really talk to anybody that wasn't actively there. And you see her treat other people differently. Her whole perspective on the scribe quadrant, specifically with how she reacted to Markham. Out of all the information that we've been told, Markham's role in covering up the lie felt so minimal compared to everyone else's involvement. It almost felt out of left 
field, but she's 100% right. Is he the one making the choices to cut the history out? Is his arm forced? Yeah, I think I assumed that he wasn't as active of a person in the whole greater scheme of things, but he clearly is, and Violet cannot get over it. And it's funny because Rihanna does pick up on the tense environment, the buzz going on between all the teachers, that something is fundamentally wrong, especially with Nolan and the healers quadrant not being able to keep up with injuries. And if there wasn't any more... (laughs) tension and craziness going on like there always is at this school. She pretty much immediately gets an assassination attempt against her in the sparring ring at around 87 where Nadine was joking that she was Violet and someone just snapped her neck in front of Violet that he was cursed, poisoned, somehow influenced to go after Violet and that time she was able to pick it up to Ato Sr., but he leaves pretty shortly after. He's not there very long. He's sent really far away as punishment. Something else I wanted to point out about like the header footer situation at the top of every chapter, the language that is used around the correspondence entries between Zayden and Violet have me really nervous for them. Whenever there are little snippets of Zayden's letters to Violet, which I'm just a sap over. It's like so stupid cute. He's trying to win her over the old-fashioned way. Mm, keep fighting the good fight, good sir. It will pay off. The language is recovered correspondence between Lieutenant Ryerson and Cadet Soringale. So I can't tell if it's written in that past tense with those titles because that was what their titles were in that moment of time, or it's because Violet never gets past the cadet status. So that has me really freaked out for them. There's something about that language that makes me think that one or both of them are going to die. And the first instance of that was at the top of chapter 11. And, you know, thinking about how much information Yaros gives us in those headers, there's a moment between Violet and Rhiannon where Rhi knows Violet well enough to know when she's hiding things, and Violet is shutting down. And, I mean, Violet's probably making it harder on herself than it needs to be. She could just say, hey, that was, like, really stressful to me. I am still unpacking it. And Rhiannon probably would have backed off, but she, like, keeps dipping deeper into this pit of lies instead. And it made me think back to the header in Fourth Wing, I believe it was chapter 28, where it talked about living long enough to see your friends become the villains. And I don't know if Violet and Rhiannon's friendship is going to survive Violet's lies and potential betrayal, depending on how Rhiannon sees it. Even if Rhiannon does agree and fights with the revolution, Violet's doing exactly what Zayden did and she knows it and she can't stand it. And then with Zayden trying to be as honest and open as he can be with Violet, but still using her to deliver these illicit goods without her knowledge. Come on, dude. And Taryn was pissed. Rightly so. I think they're probably gonna have to compromise. I'm sure there's gonna be something Zayden will never be able to tell her in full. And she's got to accept that. At least at this point in the game. I think it's acceptable to an extent. But clearly Violet wants in. And once that line is crossed, he's gonna have to let her in. So I'll be very curious to see how that continues to shake out. Because he is very set on this not being a physical thing between them. Like actually trying to build a relationship. I can't wait to see 
see how that evolves and how they get to know each other and how those walls kind of come down for both of them. So as much as I want to see Zayn get over shit, he clearly won't right now because he's set up Violet for failure. Bodhi and Zayden had assumed that Violet would be checked just like Zayden was checked. And of course it was by Varish. So they find nothing in her bag. She's not hiding notes, information to him. But after they leave, Bodhi alludes to it and Taryn confirms. And she's rightly pissed. I don't blame her. And it makes me wonder how they're going to navigate her needing more information but him not being able to physically give it to her yet. And then, you know, Zayden and Violet being all cutesy and shit at the outpost. Zayden's love language is definitely actions speak louder than words. So all these grand gestures of writing these notes and trying to open up to her is very cute and very on brand for him. And while she's with him in his new outpost is when they talk about the ward guards again. And like I said, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. This is definitely this book's arc. So I'm trying to wrap my head around it, mark it so I can go back to it once it gets revealed. I don't think this is going to go into book three. Maybe it will, but there's a lot to unpack with that and not enough context for this information in my opinion. And this last chapter, Varish is using his power in any which way has been trying to bully Violet into dragging Ad Ardna into some of the writing technique courses that they're doing. She's obviously resting in her adolescent phase. She's really not supposed to go anywhere. And they also obviously just don't want to reveal the whole feather tail phenomenon. In order to protect Ann Ardna, Varish decides to push Violet to the verge of burnout during one of her training courses with Carr. So that's not going to go well because this is only just the start of it. I mean, Violet's not going to survive another round. Taryn says that he's going to handle it from the dragon side of things. And I wonder if that's actually going to help. Not that I don't think Taryn has that ability to do that, that influence and power within the dragons. I think Varish is just that much of a monster that he's not going to care. And that's what freaks me out. And there was also a reference to her father's Feathertail research. So I'm genuinely wondering if they have their hands on it and are looking to get access to Antarctica to try to confirm it. So she's barely recovered from her burnout. She's on her way to class and she gets pulled into what appears to be her first RSC interrogation, which is very stressful. Some of my bigger questions or theories that I have running is I'm still super intrigued to learn more about Zayden and Brennan's dynamics. They seem to get along very, very well. And Violet made that comment about how Zayden knows her brother better than she does. So that still hasn't been explored. My theory that Violet won't be at Basgaeth past year two, and this will be a longer game question, but I'm not sure if Zayden and or Violet are going to survive this. I can't wait to see if Sloan comes around. I don't know if Jacinia is going to help or hurt Violet. My gut's saying it's going to help because we keep seeing her name at the beginning of the book that she is the one properly documenting this portion of history. So I think it's all going to be for the better. Obviously, Dane and his dad and the assassination attempts and the Varish dynamic, but also Mama Sorengale has been very quiet. I can't believe that I hate someone more than her coming out of that first book, but I'm back to not being 100% on her and she's not around. How does she not realize that her number two is actively going after her daughter? Well, anyway... That's all I got for right now, I think, but I will come back after another 100-ish pages for my next check-in, and we'll see how much of this is right or wrong. (laughs) I'll talk to you all soon. Hi, hello. I am back 
with part two of my check-in. This is going to cover chapters 14 through 29. I just couldn't stop reading. This is easily 150 pages since my last check-in. I'm going to try really hard to get through this as fast as possible because I recorded a lot already in the first part and I don't want these episodes to be too long. But there's a lot of information. There's a lot of stuff that happens. I'll try to cover the most important things I think that happen in these 15 chapters. So we leave off with their first RSC training, where they're poisoned and lose communication with their dragons, which is the biggest red flag. If they're willing to test this on their students, this may work on griffin riders. They will use this on any dragon rider that's insubordinate. It's a really scary tool. So after they're poisoned, they realize that they have to pair up with the infantry, which is essentially like the army. And they're told that dragons are going to be hunting the other groups because there's two groups going at the same time. I don't think all the nitty gritty of this is super important, but the point is the infantry learns who Violet is, who her mother is. The only dragon I believe they run into happens to be Jack Barlow's. You know, not a great start, but they managed to make it through unscathed and only lost one of the infantry, but they still failed. So when Violet finally got her bond back between Tarn, she was asking him what he was experiencing on his end when they were under the elixir. And he told her that he couldn't communicate back, but he was still aware of everything she was doing, which is even more terrifying. That's almost like being paralyzed at that point, still having your surroundings. Or no, it's like sleep paralysis. If you've ever experienced that, where you know you can feel everything around you and you're powerless to do anything. Well, it's the worst. Anyway, the point is nothing good is going to come from this elixir and it's going to continue playing a role in the upcoming battle ahead. We find out that Jacinia was covering for Violet this whole time with all the books that she was checking out, but it wasn't 100% confirmed yet because she had turned in that Jacek guy for requesting some information that led him to his death. But it's nice for Violet to finally have an outlet and someone that she can talk to about everything that's going on, even if it's heavily coded, because she's still kind of leaving Rhiannon and the rest of her squad out, even though Rhiannon keeps bugging her, like, I know something's off, what's wrong? And and Jacinia reminding Violet that Violet gave her a choice and whether she wanted to know this information or not was really important. I think that's going to eventually help Violet decide to open up to Rhiannon at the end of the section. You know, for what I was expecting in regards to Sloane's appearance as a first year, I figured that her and Violet would butt heads, that she'd be grieving and misplacing that anger and grief on Violet, but I thought we would see a little bit more of her, and I think Violet is intentionally keeping her at bay a little bit just out of fear and knowing not to get attached to other first years, but we do have this moment with Violet and Sloane where Sloane is still refusing Violet's help, and Sloane is about to get her ass handed to her on the training map, and Violet poisoned her competitor to help her get by that first week. Even after, Sloane is still fighting Violet, and I probably mentioned it already, but this was also where they talk about how a lot of the rebel kids stopped getting trained after seeing Zayden's success, and we're seeing now firsthand the detriment that is causing, because Sloane cannot fight to save her life, especially in comparison to Liam. And granted, Liam was trained by Zayden, so that's like a totally different level of competency, but Sloane has like no awareness. So Violet, frustrated with not being able to get through to Sloane and how important this is and that she's trying to honor Liam's wishes, offers that for every week she trains with Imogen, she will give her one of Liam's letters that he had written her throughout his first year. It was a brilliant move. Maybe she is a little violent after all. 
I always thought that nickname was a little silly, but she's almost growing into it at this point. And then we have everything and anything to do with Varish, and this section is just absolutely cringe. He nearly killed Violet in the previous section as punishment for not bringing Adnardna out when he requested. And Varish has the balls to try to coerce her again and verbalizes the fact that he's willing to fucking kill her this time around. And Taryn is fucking done. This whole scene, this was on page 181, which is totally worth looking back at because it is just, I'm so obsessed with Taryn now. I loved him. I preferred Anardna, but holy crap, the way that he rips into Solas to prove the point to Varish that he cannot hold Violet accountable for the action of their dragons, that they are not a pawn to fucking humans, is huge. Which is really interesting because a little bit later, Varish has the balls, after all this goes down, he nearly loses his dragon in his own fucking life, has the balls to act like Taren didn't almost kill his dragon when he was trying to to puff out his chest at Zayden. Anyway, Taryn rips Solas nearly to shreds. And I think this is also showing all of leadership is divided at this point about how to handle everything. And it's showing even within the dragons too now. What's great about this is that this is the first time Rhiannon is starting to piece together some of the things that Violet hasn't been able to open up to her about. And she's a smart cookie. She is fully aware that Something is off this year with leadership, with how absolutely vicious Varish is towards her, that Violet's not talking to Dane the way that she used to. So it's a step in the right direction, and where this section ends is with Violet finally opening up to Rhiannon and the rest of her squad. I don't think Rhiannon would ever truly be mad at Violet, so I'm glad it's going in that right direction. And I made a note here about how it's really interesting that at least my pure, absolute hatred of Varish has totally taken all the heat and attention off of Mama Sorengale and Dane. Maybe the Atos is in general just because Atos Sr. is not present, but I still stand by that Dane is not fully an extension of his father, which we will touch on in a little bit, because that does come up. We do get a little bit of closure on that. Varish is also just crazy power hungry, pulling Violet and Taryn away from Zayden and Sigale every chance he can. And one of the few times they are finally able to get one of their weekends together, Violet learns that Mira is stationed at the same outpost as Zayden, which is the best of both worlds at that point. It sucks that she has to lie to Mira about Brennan, just another lie to add to everything else she has to do right now. But it's good for Mira to see that Violet's okay, even if she is in love with Zayden, and kind of gives her a little bit of insight on the RSC training and how important it is to survive because she will literally die if she cracks. And then, oh, Violet, I think this might bite her in the ass. Violet tries to get information about the Wardstones because Mira's ability is to create a shield. So we get some information on that. That's on page 195 in the US hardback. And then as she's kind of testing the waters, talking about the Wardstones, she tries to bring up the fairy tales that she listened to as a child from their father, seeing if Mira would buy it, and of course she doesn't. And they're able to play it off as Violet's exhaustion and fatigue and trauma from the attack that she experienced. I hope it doesn't come back to haunt her. I don't know, Mira's pretty in tune with Violet, and it could go either way at this point, in my opinion. After Violet's visit at that outpost, they reference the weaving book that Zayden left for Violet, which is very much tied in Tyrish culture. And with that, we're kind of learning a little bit more about the breakdown of the different countries and provinces. 
And I think it's in this point that Rhiannon is also slowly piecing together how different the folklore is between not only countries but providences. And I think that's one of the other pieces that starts to click for her. And I believe this is also around the time where she got that warning note from her family that she got forwarded about not letting people from other countries into their country fleeing the venom. I love that Dane has not been able to get any time with Violet. She's been avoiding him like the plague this entire time. And the only way Dane can get Violet to communicate with him is through a challenge on the sparring mat. She's obviously freaked out and is like, you better not put your hands on me. I don't trust you anymore. That's when he realizes what that information he told his father led Violet nearly to her death. And then when she references the I'll miss you, he claims it's because he would miss the opportunity to be with her and that still feels... I want to be inclined to believe him. I'm not a sympathizer per se. I think that he is caught in the middle of something still. But as I say it out loud, I don't know if I can be fully convinced of the I'll miss you comment now. I'm not sure. As a last ditch effort to try to gain Violet's confidence and friendship back, he tells her that it was her mother that marked up Satan's back with the 107 marks. I mean, that wasn't a surprise, right? We all kind of saw that coming from that comment he made in the first book about proving his loyalties to Navarre. And then this is a moment where Rhiannon sees another piece of the puzzle click, realizing that Dane stole one of her memories without her consent, and Rhi is totally backing Violet on that. And in this moment, which is probably now the other side story I'm most excited for, is the king's son admitting to Violet he knows what's going on without saying it. He witnesses Violet try to give Rhiannon as much information as possible without divulging everything, and he confides in her and is like, why do you think I'm here? Like, oh my god, this is amazing. And it's just another indicator of how divided the leadership is now. And you see it, and I make notes of the handful of staff and professors seem to be leaning towards being a good guy versus a bad guy. You see it most in how they react to Varish, especially in regards to Violet. So, of course, as Varish continues to try to pull Zayden and Violet apart, Violet gets pulled into her first official RSC simulation during one of her weekends with Zayden. They realize to not drink the water because they're poisoned again. They'll lose communication with their dragons. They, of course, set Violet up to be the first one beaten up while the others are restrained. And when none of them are talking, which most people do after whatever point they were in the simulation, Varish brings in Dane to read her memories. And Varish totally manipulates Dane as his instructor to coax the information out of Violet because she chose Zayden over Dane. It was so grimy and so gross. And you know what? Points for Dane here. He is taking ownership of how he utilizes his ability. Him draw a line when it comes to his morals. And this is why I'm leaning towards maybe he did fuck up in book one. Other than what we've already obviously established of what he did, there could be more. But he's learning. And I'm not mad about it. It's going to be a really unpopular opinion, I know. 
also in all of this because Varish believes that Violet didn't drink the liquid with the elixir in it. He's anticipating Violet to bring Zayden, Taren, and Sigail to the rendezvous point to also treat him as a legitimate interrogation. And it all goes right, luckily, because Varish ruins Violet's sore shoulder worse than it already was. They have to call in Dr. Nolan, who seems to be one of the good guys, and we'll get into that too. He's one of the people that I think is going to help save the day. Manages to pull Varish away from the simulation and leaves just, I think it was a window unlocked, and the entire team was able to escape. And Nolan uses this project that he's working on with Varish to pull him out of the simulation, leaving Varish asking, you think the sessions are failing? Which now we know is in reference to the sessions that Nolan is spending trying to bring Jack Barlow back to full health. And also, as they're escaping, one of her daggers from Zayden unlocks a door. Is that what those runes are? Is that, are they imbued with the kind of magic? Because they were able to get, that was the only way they were able to get out. They were only able to get out that first round of doors. So fascinating. I'm just so excited by like all of this. I initially, I had said how surprised I was at Violet's immediate negative reaction to Markham. And oh my god, even in my reread, I don't think I understood the power that Markham had as the leader of the scribes at Bezgaeth. Markham is literally on the same level at this point as Varish and Mama Sorengale and Ato Sr. There's some really shady shit. Like, that is team bad guys at this point. And then you see professors like Devera, Kaori, and I'm gonna mispronounce this, but Emerito, the sparring instructor, all seem to be leaning in the, mm, we're not handling this right. We're really in trouble. This is not how this should be going. And they're the ones kind of backing Violet, seeing the way Varish is abusing Violet and his power. So back to Markham and the quote-unquote false pamphlets that got handed out right before Battle Brief's meeting, which was indicated in that chapter header on page 234. Chapter 25 chapter header states, if we were ever to invade enemy territory, which we don't, I would choose Zolia as my first target. Take out Cliffsbane Academy and you take out years of Griffin Riders in one strike. And what did the Wervin and Venon do? Take out Zolia, according to those fake pamphlets that Markham passed out to test the cadets. I love that Violet was able to see through his process of discrediting, deflecting, and distracting to turn everyone away from those unofficial pamphlets that got passed out. And in doing so, the ultimate distraction was the reveal that Jack Barlow is never truly dead. Because they did say that they cannot bring someone back from the dead, so clearly he wasn't dead, but he was damn near close. He had to have been. He had a mountain crumble on him. How did he survive that? No wonder it took Nolan months and months and months. Because then it got me thinking, from the little bit that Taryn was able to pick up from the other dragons, what are the implications going to be against Bade? For keeping that secret, knowing that his writer's been alive this whole time. Who else are they saving? You know, is this just a one-off, just for another attempted assassination attempt at Violet? Or is this part of a bigger plan to resurrect fallen riders so that the turnover isn't as high? But then also, I bet that Varish's signet that is still unknown to us is probably being utilized alongside that mender ability from Dr. Nolan to bring these people back if they are completely dead. So this is when we have good egg number two. Maybe we're at number three now. I think we're at number two. 
we're a good egg professor number two to Vera, who is able to imply to Violet that Zayden was the injured rider on the attack at his outpost. So naturally, that pieces together with, I believe, Tarn getting some type of reaction from Sigale around that time frame that this attack happened, and Tarn just freaks out, which makes Violet freak out, and they fly to the outpost to make sure everything's okay. Naturally, when this happens, I'm torn between freaking out over Zayden and his health and also how badly Varish is going to absolutely destroy Violet when she returns back to school, right? Markham's freaking out about her leaving. Being a control freak, I think some of that has to do with Markham not wanting Violet to tell Zayden about the Zolia attack, because I'm sure he doesn't know about it. If he's alive, you know, casual things. So she makes it there. She checks in with Mira, confirmed that Mira is actually okay and that Zayden was the one that she was running out there to panic and check on. She gets to the sparring ring where he is, sparring with Garrick, and he seems perfectly fine and she has this meltdown. She still has Taryn's anxiety pumping through on her own, trying to like wrap her head around what the fuck she just did, that she just ditched school <laughs> for Zayden of all people. <laughs> and they're just messy, chaotic relationship. So luckily he's okay. It's implied that he probably would have lost his arm if there had not been a mender on site. But he's okay. Taryn had every right to want to rush to his mate. These professors have not been, not professors, who am I kidding? Varish has not been honoring her leave schedule. These dragons have not had enough time with each other and it's going to continue to bite leadership in the ass. And then luckily they... (laughs) Happily for us, they finally cave to the sexual tension of the months of them doing this back and forth long distance relationship. And after their little tryst of getting back together in like a truce kind of setting, he's still not opening up about everything. He's doing a lot better and we love to see it. And she is still not admitting that she's in love with him, but you know, it is what it is. Get it out of your system, girl. We're here for it. After their tryst is when he's like, I have a meeting, a rendezvous point, and I want you to come. And she's like, like, yeah, let's go. And oh, this is so juicy. This part is just so fun. So Taryn doesn't want Violet to get off his back once they arrive to the point, especially after, you know, seeing Liam go down, knowing that Solus is such a threat, that things are just so tense. And I'm assuming it has to do with the fact that Taryn knows via Sigale what happened to Zayden during the fight, that these were potentially friendly griffins that attacked that outpost, trying to steal more weaponry. So this meeting isn't a fun or friendly one. This is Zane being like, you guys almost killed me. I have been giving you weapons for years. What were you thinking? We're doing what we can. So Sirena is like, you are not getting us these weapons fast enough, and we're doing what we need to do. And Zane's like, do it again, and I'm not going to hesitate to kill you if you guys are my allies. I practically lost an arm. So that wasn't fun. And then to add to it all, this is when Violet pieces together that Zayden was fucking around with a griffin flyer that Bodhi had referenced. I believe it was in the last section. And she hates him. And based on the desperation of the griffin riders willing to attack the outpost, knowing that they are getting a steady stream of resources from Zayden and the rebellion, is an indication that Brennan is probably correct in the timeline of how desperate things are and that it's going to be closer to a six-month invasion instead of a year, like they had originally hoped. So after this not-great meeting, they also learn about the Luminary, which is so funny. I totally misread it in the first part that I read. I read it as an ability for whatever reason, as a sick 
magnet. I don't know why. Probably just devouring this book to try to get through it. But now I understand it as a tool that is going to help them forge more weapons and metals to help keep battling the Venom. And it seems like it's all hinging on the Viscount of Horomiel, who is very fascinated by Violet and her ability. And it sounds like he would wield her as a weapon or as a prize to never be brought back. So Zayn is not willing to barter Violet for this device. Regardless of the fact that she would be willing to, he's like, I don't trust him. Brennan is working on it. We are not desperate enough to turn you over. And then after Violet briefs Zayden on everything under the sun happening at the school and everything she's learned and pieced together, including the Zolia attack, she manages to fly home and uh, the pit in my stomach when she's arriving, thinking that she's going to be executed on site, which they could technically do, according to the Codex, all kind of goes her way, and she has that sense of that as she's flying in on Taren. She has Emerito warning her on what to say to defend herself about not being able to control Taren, that he needed to go to his mate, and Kaori does the same. So we've got a couple of good people, I think, in their corner, and in Violet's corner specifically, and they're all kind of working together, specifically Kaori, because Emerito wasn't present with Violet's discussion with Varish, but Kaori's there, who is the dragon expert, and thanks to the extenuating circumstances and how powerful Taren is, and the strain that Taren's under being away from Sigale, Violet is able to get a pass from the top, squashing Varish's hopes and dreams of finally being able to destroy Violet the way he's been gunning to since the beginning. And it's great how Kaori decides to stay there because he says how he doesn't like watching people abuse power. And Varish is like, well, I don't bend to the whim of my dragon. Solus is under my influence. And Kaori calls him out. And I think this is really important. Kaori calls out the hypocrisy of Varish's comments saying, was Solus's attack on that squad after the parapet at your discretion then, if you have full control of your dragon? Oh, that was so satisfying. So anyway, regardless of all of that, Varish still decides to strip search Violet because she's wearing Zayden's jacket and she also had Bodhi's jacket and she's impersonating an officer. And she has one of those super valuable knives that's supposed to help against the venom. On her, she wasn't able to hide in time. And Re saves Violet's ass and is able to use her signet to pull the knife out of its spot. So after Rhiannon saves Violet from an execution for having that knife on her and risking the entire revolution and the lives of every rebellion kid at the school. The last line of chapter 29 is Violet admitting that that knife will kill a venom. I assume Rhiannon will take it well, and I'm excited that Violet finally has someone outside of Jacinia to talk to. I assume Rhiannon's going to take it well. I'm really enjoying this book so far. I've had a couple of little flittering thoughts that make me a little nervous. Of course, I can't think of them all and I didn't write it down. So I'm trying not to ruin it by overthinking it because I do love this story. I love these characters. I have an idea of the direction it's going. and I think it's great. So I'm trying not to pull myself out of it so much. I'll definitely have more time for that at the end with my overall thoughts, but I'm addicted to this book, guys. So I think I'll do another check-in. I'm trying to keep it to five parts so these sections are a little bit bigger. I'll probably do another 100 plus pages for part three. Anyways, I'll see y'all in a little bit. Oh my god, you guys. I just finished part one of Iron Flame. That is the end of chapter 36. And 
holy effing shit was that some of the most intense I'm just at a loss for words. Those six chapters were absolutely insane. I am reeling from them. What a way to end that first part. I still can't fully collect my thoughts. I wanted to hop on while it was still fresh because I literally just finished it. And we get so many answers in these 60-ish pages. Figure out where loyalties lie. I mean, y'all, lines are drawn. Sides are picked and motives are revealed since I literally recorded that last section hours ago. There's only been a couple hours since I recorded part two, and I'm here losing my mind over these six chapters in part three. We'll start from the beginning, even though my head is just absolutely spinning about that ending. We had left off with, which feels so distant (laughs) compared to everything else that happened, we left off with Violet finally opening up to Rhiannon and her squad that she could not bring herself to hold it back anymore, especially because Rhiannon saved her ass with that knife. So she tells them pretty much everything except for the revolution headquarters and that information because even she realizes that that is not her story to tell, especially because she's already putting them in danger, telling them this much information that is going to endanger even more people than her immediate circle. And I respect her for it. And I don't think she should have been able to hold that information back from them. I understand why Zayden didn't want her to and it's 100% valid, but as someone who needs that support group and needs their people, I get it, Violet. They react pretty well to it overall. I mean, obviously a little miffed, a little shocked, a little disappointed, but nowhere near the abandonment type of reaction that Violet had towards Zayden. So... Conveniently enough, as she finally opens up to them about what she's looking for is when Riddick is like, oh, you know, there's a whole other section of the archives that would probably have the founder's journals if that's what you're looking for. So that's when they start trying to figure out how to access the sub vaults. While they're working on that with Jacinia, you know, Violet is realizing that Jack Barlow's acting suspiciously nice and that just feels like such a walking red flag. It's giving ticking time bomb vibes. I can't remember. I feel like there's a show that touched on that concept of bringing someone back but using them as a weapon and that's what Jack Barlow is giving me right now. So that's a little weird and then we have Varish continuing to keep Zayden and Violet apart even if he can't keep the dragons apart. He's very suspicious of them and he's a man of his word. As we find find out in a couple freaking chapters in you know reaction to violet spilling the beans <laughs> in my notes i wrote venom beans lol i'm so funny <laughs> imogen opens up to another rebel kid quinn that isn't in their squad or wasn't part of resin but someone that's a close friend that she knows she can rely on during this time is another round of threshing and luckily eric and sloan both successfully bond which I love the timing of how this first part plays out that none of this explosive twist and the war efforts kind of coming to a head happens when these four first years didn't have access to dragons. So everyone is able to make that choice for themselves. But then of course, it's 
been a minute since Violet's had an assassination attempt, and Ito Sr. decides to send four of the infantry, the army, to go after her when she was on duty, unfortunately killing another one of the people that was at Resin. So now they're only down to half the original people that actually know the truth of the Worven. And you know who saves her? Jack fucking Barlow. And we definitely don't have a conclusion to this because he's present when Varish takes her for kidnapping and torture, but there's no context of what the goal is of Barlow being brought back. And then as they figure out the last of their research, Riddick goes on a run for Violet to talk to Jacinia to try to figure out how to access these sub vaults. And conveniently enough, the only way you can get through it is if you are from the royal bloodline. Luckily, we have an undercover prince on our hands, right? And I am still very excited for Eric's storyline and I think it's going to be really compelling. We love a good rebel prince. Do we not love Prince Harry? I love Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Anyway, so finally their plan to get into the sub vault is coming together and they wait for a weekend that Zayden's going to be in town. She fills him in on everything and he is fuming. Surprise, surprise. But he's like, well, you're not doing it without me. So they rope him in only to learn when they get Zayden and Eric into the same room, there is some pretty bad blood between the two of them, which in hindsight was already alluded to in a previous header along with some information about Zayden and Sigale that I think is going to be very important later on in the book. So in one of the correspondences between Zayden and Violet, the passage is for chapter 12, so this is very early on, on page 109, where he says, Sigale watched me kill another cadet for bullying Garrick during threshing. She says she chose me for my ruthlessness, but I think I remind her of my grandfather. So, the first bit of information, now we know that cadet that he killed is Eric's brother. Fueling the bad blood, that's already pretty deep, I'm sure, just like it was for Violet and Zayden based on their family's histories, right? Also, there is a comment made on page 302 by Quinn. My signet is stronger because Cruth was my great aunt's dragon, but she's not a direct descendant, so I don't have to worry about going mad like those whose dragons bonded in the direct familial line. Dragons aren't supposed to even get close to family lines for that exact reason. Like, they listen to human rules. So that is going to be a huge indicator of Zayden's inevitable story. Is he going to go crazy because he bonded with his grandfather's dragon? Is this where this is going? Are we starting to see that in him willing to sacrifice the new wave of the revolution and everything he's worked for to protect Violet? I'm really nervous about it because Yaros is the queen of leaving us these breadcrumbs that's already paid off so far, only halfway through book two. So... We're still on our way to the sub vaults. Zayden and Eric are able to put their differences aside for the most part to go down to the sub vaults. Jacinia puts her foot down, only letting Zayden, Violet, Imogen, and Eric go in. And what's really fun is that something I think a lot of us suspected about Zayden's abilities is that he can sense people and their surroundings, and he was able to sense some of the guards in the scribe quarters as they went down there. Which, you know, in hindsight, I realize that's probably how he knew Violet was in the tree, right? They get by by the seat of their pants. Eric's hands are horrifically blistered because while they were able to get through the wards, or so they think, he hurts himself retrieving the journals from the drawer that they were in. They're able to snag two journals. She sends Zayden off with one of them. He leaves early so that his bag doesn't get checked. And who <laughs> approaches her on the flight field saying goodbye to Zayden? None other than Nolan with food and a lemonade. And I literally just said how many 
many minutes before this that I thought Nolan was the good egg and he's not. The stress. I lost my mind when he brought that lemonade. I was like, oh my god. I knew it. And then Vera showed up and Jack made a little cameo in the corner, which still doesn't make sense to me. And it is so disgustingly brutal. Her torture scene and she does not cave. You find out that that Nora woman that has been searching Violet's bag religiously for her trips out to Zayden is a human lie detector. So Violet is so brilliant in her phrasing and answering all of those questions. It was just incredible to watch. I just will forever adore Violet. How much she's able to withstand and just watching the way her mind works and is able to problem solve things is just so fun. And during this point, she begins to hallucinate or she thinks she's hallucinating Liam. And I tend to think that there's something happening there that she is connecting to him and he is supporting her. I will say this little quip is that it was really heartwarming for me because it was definitely giving me Throne of Glass vibes. I won't go further into detail, but if you know, you know. I love that she had this layer of support, even if it was her on the verge of losing her mind. And then as I think in the first round of her interrogation is when she pieces together that they're expecting Zayden to desert and go after them to save her. Yeah, it was brutal. So, I mean, she is forced to take that elixir to keep her connection from Taryn turned off. But again, he can feel everything. So, of course, he's going to find a way to notify Segal and Zayden it's day five, day four. They threatened to bring her squad in. They have broken her and remended her. Who knows how many times at this point. And then they bring out the quote-unquote big guns and they bring in Dane again. And I was like, fuck. Yeah, he didn't do that the first time, but he's pissed and he's disappointed. And it's so funny because in the previous portion, I had said, I don't think he's necessarily a stand-up guy, but I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and I'm so happy that he pulled through for her. And I hope that stays because I had made that observation earlier about how horrifically villainous her mother and Dane felt after reading that first book, just the level of betrayal and what they were willing to let her go through that first year. And for me, that animosity fell off immediately with the introduction of Arish and the motives of Atos Sr. And Dane redeemed himself in the process, which I wasn't expecting. And he played it really well because he still used his ability, which sure, that's questionable. I get it. But instead of being pissed about hiding the information, as I mean, I understand why he would be, he was still willing to trust what he did find out and still agreed that what happened was wrong and to side with her at the end of the day. It was so satisfying that he got that stab in with Varish. And then my note is Shadow Daddy is here (laughs) when Zayden arrives because I will forever love this man. He so brilliantly sets up a diversion at the farthest corner of the country to pull all of leadership away, which is why it kind of took him a couple days to get to her because he knew there was a high probability that they were setting up a trap because they tried doing that to her 
last time. And I'm sure she communicated that with him during her first RSC interrogation attempt. And his brilliant plan was to drop the dead bodies of Wervin across the borders so that people could witness it. And that it was like a major PR damage control at that point. So Zayden swoops through, kills all those guards on the way as Dane's trying to help Violet out the door. And Violet defends Dane, and I'm glad she does. And Varish is still trying to grasp his last bit of a hold on Dane. And is like, no, if what Violet saw was true and my father's been hiding this, then he's the problem. He's the disappointment. It was a big moment for him. And he made the right call. And I'm so excited about that for him. Do I think he's going to die at the end? of this book now probably and that's gonna be i think really devastating i will be upset if when that happens he's gonna die at some point i think it's gonna be him and then also during this time who reveals herself mama soringale and boy for all the things that i was right that got revealed in this section i was very wrong about her I was right in the sense that I had a feeling it was going to go in a more redemptive route for her, but I really had it in me that she killed her husband. And then she's like, the love of my life was a scribe. I was like, very wrong. Noted. Won't question you again. So she comes in with the antidote to help Violet get her connection back to Taryn. This is when Violet's mother tells her about the reason why she pulled her out of the writer's quadrant was to get her away from Markham. Because Markham really thought he had himself the next greatest scribe on his hands that would help continue to weave these lies. And she's like, I knew that you would see through it. And I knew that you being in the scribe quadrant would eventually cost you your life because you would figure it out. In opposition of Mira's war, Morning to avoid Zayden when she crossed the parapet year one. Mama Sorengale had made an agreement with Zayden for an, a favor owed to her at a later date, which is the source of the marks on Zayden's back and the favor that Mama Sorengale pulled in was for Zayden to keep an eye on Violet to make her survive her first year. It really shines a whole new light on Mama Sorengale's dynamic with Zayden, but she also doesn't know that Brennan's alive. All those relationships are so much more intertwined than we ever imagined, and they're so complex, and it makes it so fun because Mama Sorengale is typically leaning towards good now. Morally gray. She's probably the most morally gray character out of them all at this point. And she's still fighting for the cause in her own way. But she doesn't know that her son is alive also fighting for the cause. Like boots on the ground while she is infiltrating. It's so fascinating. But then of course her side comment to Violet at the end. Like nobody cares a soaring gale out. Like, fuck off. She's been beaten black and blue for, like, almost a week straight. Can't win them all, right? <laughs> yeah, like I said, Dane made the right choice and is fighting for the revolution now that he knows the truth. And Violet, in her last beautifully idealistic move, wants to offer the students the choice via their dragons that are willing to give them their information to join them while all the teachers are out cleaning up orban bodies. There's only a handful of teachers left. And conveniently enough, it's the ones that I think are leaning towards good. One of them is confirmed. I'm holding out hopes for Kaori that he's going to lean into the good. But we know Devara is. Kara is not. And they got the majority of the school to go with them to Tyrandor. And she's going to get mended properly by her brother. I just... <laughs> 
oh my god, the adrenaline rush. I was so nauseous that whole time. I was like, how is this happening? 50% of the way in. What else is going to happen? So as you can imagine, got quite the ego. Called that she wasn't going to make it past her second year. Had a feeling that Dane would turn around and I'm hoping that trajectory continues. There's always the chance it's going to mess up, but I had his back. So excited to learn more about Mama Sorengale and how she continues to utilize her power to try to help. And from what it sounds like too, Zayden seemed to imply that the journal that Violet literally got tortured over was what they needed to get those wards back up. Or in the process... We haven't learned that yet, but there was a line in there that made seem like they were onto something, and that makes it all the more worth it. The last note to make about the section that is stressing me out, I don't think it's gonna go well, is Aunt Ardna is still asleep. Taryn has been really short with Violet this first half of the book, like she needs sleep, she needs sleep, she needs sleep, and the elders are saying that no one has ever slept this long in their adolescence. And there's a lot of theories going around of Violet possibly losing a dragon, and that's what probably freaks me out about this. I can't imagine we're gonna lose her during this transitional period of time, but I wonder if it's foreshadowing because it depends on how destructive Yaros wants to be with these characters. Is she gonna decimate every character in this universe? Is she going to make it more of a bittersweet ending? Because the dragon to lose would be Anardna. It's the least impactful on that group as a whole, but that would be a whole different level of devastating than it would be if it was Taryn. So we will see. Don't know if I have any major thoughts right now past this information, this hell of an ending to part one. I definitely think we're gonna see the loss of a couple other beloved side characters. I can't imagine Zayden and Violet staying reunited past this book. I'll be curious to see how Mira plays into this. I don't have an opinion on that yet. That could be a very tragic Percy Weasley type herring that she's going to be on the wrong side until the last minute. It's going to be devastating. I could see Dane going as that like final sacrifice that he decided to follow Violet and Violet's going to be devastated by it because I think they'll make up enough and it'll destroy her. I think those are the thoughts I have for this part. My head's still reeling so I'm sure I'll have more thoughts and theories once I get through the next section. Hopefully it'll be a little bit longer than these 60 pages because this was intense but I mean the war has truly begun now. I mean, there's supposed to be three more books. How, where else is this story going? How long is this battle going to last? <sighs> so many questions. More questions than answers. All right, I will check in with you guys in the next section. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at samantha.mave and our podcast Instagram, Confession Stand, at confessionstand underscore podcast for episode updates, book and movie recs, and more. See you next time.